there was one morning where um, we were in the workshop, and I think uh, I had come down already. Danny was still upstairs. He was finishing breakfast or something like that. He came down the stairs. He was right at the top, and he just yelled down the stairs, Rich, we're making fiddles. <laughs> and I think that, that kind of sums up the, uh, the excitement and curiosity about making. You know, it's just something that we absolutely love through and through. Well, I think the, uh, you know, behind all of this, the friendship we built. Um, and we sh shared uh, problems, successes, uh, and food. <laughs> I, like, I like to cook kind of in the country way, so we would uh, sit and have a nice lunch and uh, then, then get back at it. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. My friends at Architecting Curiosity distilled a set of principles that help us unlock curiosity's tantalizing potential. One of those principles is apprenticing, using your beginner's eyes, mind, and heart to learn by doing. When information about the Virginia Humanities Folklife Program's apprenticeships came across my desk then, I jumped. Here was my chance to dig in a bit. What would they say about how curiosity shows up in apprenticing? Are there curiosity practices? I had the opportunity to talk with Katie Clune, Director of Virginia Humanities' Virginia Folklife Program, as well as with Rich Maxim and Danny Smith, an apprentice mentor pair of violin luthiers who welcomed me into Danny's Lynchburg studio and their collective magical musical world. My name is Rich Maxim, and I'm a fifth-generation luthier. It's uh, something that's been in my family for a long time, going back to the late 1800s. And ever since that time, somebody in each generation has... Uh, been devoted to the violin in some way, whether that was making violins or playing them or composing or conducting um, or writing reviews about violin music, which is what my father did. Um, everybody in the family has been uh, interested uh, going back several generations. Yeah, my name is Danny Smith. I've uh, resided in Lynchburg most of my life, except for a tour duty in the Army. And I was stationed in Germany during the Vietnam War. Uh, I missed that bullet. And um, when I got out, I got interested in violins. And um, I took it as far as I could. <laughs> well, I tried playing for years without much success. And finally it clicked. And then I could play by ear all the time. So uh, then I... Uh, started being a repair person in the Lynchburg area for people, friends mostly. And then um, when uh, I had to retire from a job that I loved, I was a firefighter for the city of Lynchburg. And um, with uh, some health issues, uh, I got where I couldn't do it anymore. I've had six back operations, so that says it all. And then uh, after, uh, after I uh, retired, I started building. Uh, I met a, uh, a fellow named Donald Watts through a music store in Lynchburg. 
Uh, and uh, I went to see him, and I needed some work that I couldn't do. And so from, uh, from there, I met Russell Burford. So uh, me and Russell, he was a toolmaker by trade, and I was a fiddle enthusiast. Yeah, I, was, I was interested in fiddles. And we shared knowledge, and they put it together, and made about 15 fiddles together. And then he died shortly after that. He, he died about two or three years after I met him, and I carried it on. You know, once I get to the point where I think I could pass on, you know, in, in the same way that he has, you know, that uh, wealth of knowledge, I, I, I feel like I'm really duty-bound to do that as much as I can. For The Apprentice, they're signing up for a year-long, you know, kind of self-directed learning opportunity. So, you know, there has to be some foundation of curiosity there. But we don't call it out because it's assumed to some degree. If you're wanting to, you know, develop a relationship with a teacher like that in that way. There's an element of this apprenticeship that was a little different from tradition. Most of the time in, in apprenticeships, it involves the apprentice sort of doing bulk work for, the, uh, for the, the master, where, you know, it might be just roughing out plates or something like that, or doing some of the work that's more uh, monotonous and, you know, stuff that will save time for the, uh, the master maker so that he doesn't have to do it. But the way it worked in this case was that uh, Danny was right there at the bench with me, and um, he was making one of his own violins at the same time. But he would stay maybe two steps ahead, and he would work on his violin, and then when I would come in, I'd see what my next things were to do. And so he would continue working on his violin, and I would work on mine, but he'd be right there, and so he could give me lots of feedback, you know, right in the moment, and so it was a, a much more involved process, and so he was always there kind of guiding me as I was working through uh, making the, the first violin, which helped me quite a lot because it helped me avoid a lot of mistakes or uh, potential pitfalls. But it was a really great opportunity to have somebody there, you know, just right next to me, giving me all that feedback right in the moment. Another piece of advice that Danny has given me and is one that um, I've really taken to heart is um, he's always said, um, you know, be like a sponge and absorb everything you can. And he's also told me that steal everything that you can with your eyes. <laughs> and so I do that. You know, I, I try to learn and uh, just absorb as much as I can. For most of these traditions and artists who are, you know, masters of a given craft and the people who want to learn with them, like the well of curiosity is endless because you're talking in many cases, it's someone who's been in the case of Danny, self-taught violin builder, but has been doing it for decades. So has almost an infinite well of knowledge and the apprenticeship puts a a basket around that for a year 
But the relationship he has with Rich, you know, was both there beforehand and will continue after and is one based on a shared, mutual, deep curiosity and affection for the same thing. And Danny is still learning, too, even though he's in the position of teacher. Well, I'm curious about uh, Richie's success, and it's great. He, he has learned uh, so much about uh, the identification of instruments, and uh, he brings some things to, to me. Uh, and uh, he will be uh, an expert. Uh, and and that's just later. But I, I I tried to encourage him. I don't think I needed to encourage him. But when we started out, I told him, uh, you know, you've got a book coming, uh, so you uh, document everything. I said the good things and the bad things. I said, you know, people people like a little dirt along the way. So <laughs> I could see the potential there. And he was such a polite person to have around. We enjoyed every day. So uh, it was a winner for me, and now I've become the student. He, he brings me these stories and this violins that he sees. He's worked on strads and granarises and, and many more that I can't pronounce the name of like him. And um, we, uh, we trade information uh, uh, at least on a weekly basis, and when th things like this happen, it's you know, every day or two. You know, another thing I thought I might mention, since um, Danny has talked about the tools a lot, you know, in um, in violin making, it's often necessary to make your own tools for a lot of things because there are, there are some things that you can buy, but uh, a lot of the time, you're sort of on your own to uh, to come up with useful jigs or fixtures or even some of the measuring tools on your own, and um, it, it's part of the uh, the fun of, of doing it to um, kind of make some of your own things. So one of the first things that I did when I started with Danny was to just make some tools. Uh, the very first thing we ever did together was um, just to uh, make a wooden mallet on a lathe, just to kind of get some practice with that. And um, then from there we went into making some me measurement tools and little things that when they're just hanging on the shelf and you don't know what they are, you know, they may not seem all that significant, but they, uh, they, they make a big difference and they, uh, they become an important part of the, of the process. So everything that, uh, that is hanging on the wall or in one of the tool racks, you know, everything has a, a specific function or meaning to it. And um, a lot of those things are just sort of one-off tools that um, you know, somebody else might have their own tool that's a little bit different to, to uh, accomplish the same goal. But it's very unique and, you know, it's got kind of its own character. Things like that. And, uh, we're always kind of talking with each other about what we've seen. That, you know, that's, that's another element of the curiosity as, as far as our love of violins, you know, we're always getting in touch and saying, oh, you know, look what I saw today, or, you know, I'll, I'll take pictures and send them to him, and vice versa, but uh, we're always saying, well, you know, let me know if you see anything. Oh, he's my best friend. He's my best friend. And it's unusual because, you know, the age difference, but we, we both act like kids. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, you know, I just thought of something that might be worth mentioning. Yeah. 
I think Danny does something that's a little unusual, um, which is that all his violins are made on the same model. He can probably tell you a little bit more about about that, but um, he was always fascinated by Paganini's violin, the uh, Guarneri del Gesù, known as the Canon. And he found a violin uh, by an American maker from Baltimore that was made on that model, and he he still has that one. It's actually hanging up over here. But that was kind of his favorite playing instrument for a long time. And so that was kind of his reference point. Uh, that and um, having uh, really good detailed posters with you know full-size pictures and all the measurements and everything. But that model has always been what appealed to him. So all his violins are made on that. And then um, when I started working with him, you know, I, I talked already about making the tools. Well, one of the, one of the first things we did was to make a mold um, of that particular instrument. So what makes it kind of interesting is that um, when you're only using one model, it's possible through each violin to have much more controlled experiments. So, you know, you might say, with this violin, I'm going to try just changing one element, like uh, maybe making the corners a little bit longer, or making the, uh, the edges a little bit thicker, or, you know, maybe I'm going to make the arch a little bit lower on this one, but um, doing it that way, it's a lot easier to isolate things. And you can say, well, you know, I like this on this violin, but, you know, I like this other element from a different one, so you can sort of... Um, go over time and um, refine what you what you like more easily because if you're picking a different model every time now I mean it's certainly possible to, to get really good results with that but it can be a little bit harder to quantify because there are so many different things that change when you change models so Danny has picked the one and really stuck with that now he's, he's got a second model now that he's making a cello but um, with the violins, he's he's stuck to the one, all the, all this time. So there's 75 all made on that uh, canon. I'd been very taken with a particular passage in the Virginia Humanities press release about the apprenticeships that mention the folk life tradition's complete engagement of the senses, which seemed like a whole bunch of curiosity practices right there, and a deeper appreciation for the many ways in which the traditional art form operates within its larger cultural landscape. The discipline of folklore and the programs that try to work in support of traditional arts are much more programs about people and individuals as opposed to art for art's sake or art you could encounter, you know, in a gallery with very little context. And there's almost no way you can engage with the stuff of folklore, which is the creative expression of everyday life, or another way to define it is artistic communication in small groups. But really, it's the rituals and traditions and practices we all layer onto our daily lives that give them meaning to ourselves to our families and to the broader communities we participate in and move between. And so I think calling that out in 
guests and the way we talk about the program is in a way marking how unusual it is to be in a position to fund that kind of person-to-person learning just in you know your own lived space outside of the context of an institution far away from the gallery we're not checking credentials of an artist who says they've you know mastered a a tradition so i say all that to to help communicate that the kind of work we do always aims to be, be that sort of full layered complicated approach that really empowers artists to take a leadership role in how they talk about what they know or how they present themselves or how they want to want to be presented to the public. But I would like to say that I had a lot of encouragement from my wife. She supported me all the way. And my dear sister, Connie Kramer, uh, she, she always gets a kick out of my stories and she likes to see my instruments. And she has my number one instrument, the first one I built with Russell Burford. If this was an irritation to my wife, you know, it wouldn't happen. You've got to have, <laughs> you know, she suffered through me trying to learn to play the violin. And uh, as bad as I was, uh, she she encouraged me, and uh, I'm sure she put earplugs in occasionally, or well, may, maybe quite often. <laughs> I think some luthiers leave out the... Um, acoustical part of building violins where me and Rich, we take a lot of attention in to listening to the uh, tones of the plates. And the Cremonese, they would uh, tone the plates uh, a step or a step and a half uh, apart. And some most makers go by thicknesses and weights and other, uh, well, flexibility mainly. and But we incorporate all those, but then we incorporate what we hear. Yeah, I, I would say basically all of the senses are involved. And, you know, uh, another thing that I, I say a lot is that uh, two of the best tools, or maybe not even two of the best, but the two best tools that you have are your eyes and your fingers. Because just the fingers alone are sensitive to differences in magnitude that are almost inf- infinitesimal. So when you have your fingers on the wood, you know, you're, you're able to pick up things. You can sort of read the wood with your fingers, and you can find things sometimes that your eye doesn't catch. And so it's very tactile for me. You know, I'm, I'm always feeling the wood, and when you're, um, when you're working on arching, um, you're always trying to make the wood have a, a really smooth and gradual curve. You want to avoid there being you know, bumps and uh, peaks and valleys. Uh, so you want there to be smooth transitions. And so just being able to feel the wood and, and pick up places where wood needs to be removed is, is so important to it. And just being able to, to hold the, uh, the wood and to kind of flex it and feel the way the, uh, the grain works and, um, you know, the way that the, the plate responds to, to being flexed, it, you know, it, it's such an important part of it. So it is, it's really visceral, it, you know, really <laughs> are engaging with the wood. And yeah, of course, there are some amazing smells too in, in violin making. Varnish is, is one of them for sure. Some people really love the smell of the hide glue too when that's, uh, when that's cooking. Some people hate it, but 
varnish definitely you know there are all those kind of pine resin smells and um a lot of the other resins that you you use for um cooking varnish or or polishing those things have uh, some really amazing smells too so when the when you're in the workshop there's kind of a, a full immersion of the senses the smell of the varnish is my favorite thing you know you have the turps and rosins and all mixed together and cooked up. Sometimes we make our own. Uh, so, so absolutely all the senses, the flexibility of the plates, and of course your sight has to be acute to, uh, you know, get the details down. And th then it becomes a natural process uh, that even, even uh, your teeth, sometimes you can take your teeth and test the wood on the softness of it and uh, uh, get an idea of how it would tone out. With the experience of building, I've built 75 violins and just a couple of cellos. So even that uh, sense can be brought here. Of course, one of my favorite things to do is to invite my guests to make analogies with me finding, as they do in folk life traditions and apprenticeships, the relationship between two perhaps very different things. This time I asked Katie, how is curiosity like a violin? So if I were to talk about curiosity as a violin or similar to a violin, where my mind goes to first is thinking about how, like any musical instrument, Playing a violin takes practice and a little bit of guts to start to start off in the first place. Guts or you know lack of knowing any better, and I th I find that I I too often feel like I have a a rare skill set in this position of talking to strangers, building relationships, and talking to them about things they care about deeply, they love deeply, are deeply knowledgeable. And I feel such a, a richness in receiving their answers that I wish more of us were practicing the muscle of curiosity in our day-to-day -day lives as we might practice a violin. Very cool. Well, I can see why you were willing to take him on as an apprentice. Oh, it was just natural. And I can see why you would want him as your teacher. You know, I, um, I've i learned a lot of things from some really good uh, repairmen and, and makers over time, but I still always find that Danny is, is I think, the most influential person for me. And... Um, I still feel like um, I can constantly be learning from him. You know, um, whenever I come over, there there'll always be something new to learn, and whenever I uh, I bring an instrument to work on, there'll always be another opportunity. So, you know, it, it feels like it's a continual process of uh, of learning. And you know, I as I as I learn some things, I'm always happy if there's something I can share too. 
but uh, it's an ongoing process. You know, when I like I often I'm, I'm interviewing people about something they make or something they do. But in the end, you're ultimately always talking to someone essentially like, how are you living a good life for yourself? And so the answer is always they'll yes, they'll touch on whatever given subject we've scheduled our interview around. But inevitably, there will be sort of deeper philosophies and orientations shared. And that is always such a, a precious thing. Never a dull moment. Never. And you know, some people think, well, you know, how do you sit there and do the same thing all the time? I said, oh, well, I never do. You've been listening to Choose to Be Curious on Radio Arlington. Find this and all my other episodes at choosetobecurious.com. Many thanks to my wonderful guests, Katie Clune, Rich Maxim, and Danny Smith. And special thanks to Rich for his impromptu basement violin performance. For more information about Virginia Humanities and the Virginia Folklife Program, visit virginiahumanities.org. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.